on this episode of Rebel Spirit Radio. So everyone is on his own spiritual path. There are no highways on the way to spirituality. Mm. There are only little mountain roads. Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this week's episode, author Pierre Pradervan joins me to discuss his book, The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment, Your Guide to Discovering Your Personal Path. Pierre talks about the importance of living an examined life, the spiritual experience of non-duality, the connections between gratitude and a blessing heart, and how we are all expressions of a God smiling. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Pierre Pradervan studied at the University of Geneva, the University of Bern, and the University of Michigan Ann Arbor before receiving a doctorate in sociology from Sorbonne University in Paris. A true world citizen, Pierre has labored most of his life for social justice, He's active as a writer, speaker, and workshop facilitator. He is the author of numerous books, including The Gentle Art of Blessing. He joins me today to discuss his latest book, The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment, A Guide to Discovering Your Personal Path. Pierre, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. It's a great joy, a really great joy to be with you, Nick. Okay, well, thank you, and I am so appreciative of your time and uh, this opportunity to speak with you. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment. Uh, you describe it at one point as a modest effort, uh, and I think that's true. Um, it's a slim volume, but it's so full of um, insight. So I'm very much looking forward to speaking with you about it. One of the things that kind of leapt out to me as I was reading it is that it seems that one of the ideas that grounds the book is a very, very old idea. And I hope I'm on the right track here, but it seems like part of the spiritual path that you're describing is to live an examined life. To live? To, to live. live an examined life. Yes. Yeah. Is that fair yeah. to say? By examined, you mean that one is checking to be sure that one walks one's talk? Is that what you mean? Yeah, and I think a little bit more. I'm coming from the philosophical background with uh, Socrates, yeah. uh, because you noted that the spiritual path is following your highest sense of what is right. Yes, very much so. Whatever the consequences. Absolutely. Speaking truth to power. Yes. Refusing to dilute one's inner sense of truthfulness. Yes. And refusing to cheat yourself, lie to yourself, or abide in the shade of half-truths. Absolutely. So all of those reminded me of Socrates and yes. his claim that, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. And... In conjunction with that is the idea of 
trying to be your best self. Yes. What is dramatic is that our civilization, our culture, our Western consumer culture pushes 90% of people to the unexamined life mm. because it is so much in either buying, buying, consuming, or now with television, you know, having people thrust their ideas down your, not your throat, but into your mind. And people, few people, really are independent thinkers. Mm. And is that where discernment comes in? Independent thinking? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How, yeah. Uh, in what other ways would you describe discernment? I would say, say simply that it's following one's highest vision of what is right for me to do. Mm. And how would you say that we can go about determining that? Because like you said, we live in a culture that is guiding us towards half-truths and different values. And this is, I think, like the big question, isn't it? That how do we determine what that higher truth is? Well, I think it implies a deep, inner listening mm. and having gotten over major psychological kinks mm. you understand what i mean by the word kinks oh yeah and uh, for instance i married the most wonderful woman in the world and at the same time i was on a very rigid and strict spiritual path and as a matter of fact i made the when we met, I made the appalling demand that she follow my spiritual path if she wanted us to get married. Mm. Now, she was very much in love with me and made this huge sacrifice, whereas she was far ahead of me spiritually. And I was not myself at that time. I was governed by the our guidelines of this spiritual path. And I had to leave the spiritual path completely to rediscover myself. In the meantime, I, I left my wife and, but now we are again the very, very best friends because simply I've gotten over my, my, I guess I had a psychological need for a sense of authority from the outside guiding my life, which is what this spiritual path offered. Mm. Told you exactly how to behave. And now I don't need that. Anymore. I feel a sense of freedom and a peace that absolutely nothing has shaken for years. Mm. And I'm grateful I'm on no specific path whatsoever. I often attend the local Quaker meeting simply hmm. because it's so lovely to be sitting in silence with a group for a whole hour. I do it in the morning alone in my room, but it's completely different in a group. Hmm. So I, I feel I've become my own self. It's taken 
over 80 years, but it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a lifelong journey, right? Exactly, Nick. Yeah. Well, I was wondering, you just mentioned the attending the Quaker meetings, and I know that you do write about them in the book, but I was wondering if maybe you could say a little bit more about that, especially for anyone who's watching or listening that may not be familiar with how Quakers practice their spirituality. Well, George Fox created his teaching on the basis that each one has a direct connection to God. So you don't need all sorts of outside authorities to tell you what to do because you have that direct connection. But to feel that direction needs a lot of listening, especially in the noise of today's world. That's why deep listening is the essence of a Quaker meeting. Very occasionally, somebody will get up and share a truth that is meaningful to him. And that's what I, I like. And, you know, nobody's asked me to join the Quakers whatsoever. I've been going for years, occasionally, you know, very occasionally. It's not every Sunday because I've been traveling a lot also. But it's there's a, a sense of freedom, non-authoritarian, democracy that I like very much. But again, again I'm, I belong to no religious teaching whatsoever, although I had a very conventional Presbyterian upbringing, but I've left all that far behind. Well, it's a, like I said, it's a journey that uh, takes a lifetime, I think. And at one point you wrote in the book, and I loved this, that you said that you still feel that you are in the kindergarten of your spiritual quest. Well, when you see the lives of some of the great spiritual pioneers that people call saints, they are just stunning. Mm -hmm. Not to mention that incredible avatar called Jesus, you know, their lives are, are just stunning. Stunning examples of 100% commitment to a path, to a vision. Yes. And along those lines, let me ask this. Excuse me if I stutter here a little bit as I try to formulate the question. The spiritual path then is one that we have to go within and listen and listen to a, or listen for a higher truth or listen to a higher self. And one of the questions that I want to ask here is what precipitates going on this path? Do you think that there's something within each of us that wants to push us towards this path? Why would someone go along this path if there isn't something that pushes us? Because they're not satisfied with what, let's say, any other experience they've had until now. Either they're in a very authoritarian structure like many Protestant-type sects or evangelical 
tech sects or big, big spiritual structure, like maybe the Catholic Church, which all, you know, impose a certain guideline and tell you what is true for mm. you. But you are the only one who can discover what is true for you. Mm. And my life, I think, has been very, very unconventional in many ways, including practically. I gave away all my fortune and live on a very modest income. And I feel totally happy mm. because I've lived in, in Africa. I lived for five years between two shanty towns. When I mean between, that's about 100 and 150 yards from each one. And I know what extreme poverty is. I've been in villages where people ate the bark of the trees. Nick, they ate the bark of the trees because they'd been a total failure of the of their uh, of their harvests. And I've been in another village where the women walked every day twenty five miles in summer in temperatures to fetch water in summer in temperatures of close to 50 degrees centigrade. I don't know how much that would be in, in Fahrenheit, but it must be well in the 120s. I mean, just unbelievable. And they did that every single day, 365 days a year. The word holiday or vacation or day off doesn't exist even in their language. And for me, I would say quite honestly, the poorer women of the third world are my great heroes. Mm -hmm. A mother who raises two kids alone in a shanty town because her, her husband has left her for a, a younger girlfriend. These for me are the greatest heroes of the planet. Wonderful. And it, you know, it just shows us how much privilege I think we have in the Western world and that that privilege seems to have or come with kind of warped values. Yes. I must say, personally, when I turn the top tap every day, I'm grateful mm. because I, I've seen this with these women who walk 25 miles a day. Yeah. And I, I'm grateful for everything. I feel so, so privileged. I don't live in a, in a car, in a chateau, a castle. I have a small two-room apartment. But for me, this is incredible abundance. Mm. Mm. And I think oh. people in the West don't realize how incredibly privileged they are just to live where they are yeah. and to have food three times a day on their table and to turn off, turn on a tap and water runs out. That's I've never taken that for granted since yeah. I've been in these villages. Yeah. And gratitude is a key feature, I think of the spiritual path that you write about as Absolutely. is. I think that, and please correct me if I'm mistaken here, but one of the 
main features of what you are writing about in this book, but also in your previous book, The Gentle Art of Blessing, is this idea of blessing. Is blessing connected to gratitude? Well, of course. Hmm. I'd say it's the gratitude is the essence of a blessing heart. Hmm. Because you bless, you can't bless if you don't feel gratitude. So they are both interlinked closely. And it's true that my book, The Gentle art of blessing and especially the the one page text on the art of blessing has gone around the world for 30 years mm. i've received letters from australia alaska and literally everywhere about this simple practice that yeah. heals that heals yep. can you say more field of relationships yeah can you say more about the practice of blessing well, it's so simple. I say, I define blessing as wanting the real good of the other person from the bottom of your heart. I bless Mr. Putin every day. About a year and a half ago, just before the start of the Ukraine war, I was sitting, and you know, I have a lot, take a long time normally at least an hour and a half every morning for my spiritual work, work between quotes. And I was just in silence and I received an order. I mean, an order. I'd never received that in my life before. Love put in. And I wrote a blog on this and wrote, received such favorable comments. And every day, I, well, almost every day I talk to him and say, my brother, and I feel, I feel real love for this man. Because Nick, every person, and that's the basis of one of my next book, Living Without Judging. Mm. Every person is at their highest level of consciousness at every single moment. This goes from a a drunken bartender to a highly devoted nurse. Mm. Each one is at their highest level of consciousness. And when you've really understood this, Nick, it's so wonderful because you make no efforts not to judge. And after all, that great avatar Jesus said, told us not to judge, period. Mm. He didn't give any conditions. Yes. And it reminds me of, there was a documentary I saw, it's an older documentary on the plight of the Tibetan people. And there was a monk yes. and I wish I remembered his name. I've, I've got a book by him, but he had been imprisoned and tortured and he was able to escape. And he, when he escaped, he took some of the torture tools with him. And in the interview, he was asked, you know, what about, you know, how do you feel about the Chinese government that they've done this to you? You know, aren't you full of anger and hatred? 
And he's like, no, I love them. <laughs> I, I love them because he recognized that they were acting out of their suffering. Exactly. 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 Yeah. You know, and it's difficult though, to sometimes recognize that everyone's acting out of their suffering because yeah. doesn't our ego get in the way? Well, I, I think it's not only from their suffering. Yeah. But from, for instance, the person I've had most difficulty learning not to judge and, and trying to love is, you know, Mr. Trump, mm. the American candidate for presidency. And uh, I find it much more, I found it infinitely more difficult to love this man than Mr. Putin. Mm. So everyone is on his own spiritual path there are no highways on the way to spirituality mm. there are only little mountain roads mm. Mm. i like that and i understand <laughs> the difficulty with um uh, donald trump uh, i'll share with you the practice that i've done is what i do is i identify the characteristics of him that I do not like. And then I turn it around onto me. So wow. the example that I use is, you know, I, I don't like his arrogance. Exactly. And I will then turn it around and say, okay, well, in what ways am I arrogant? How am oh, I arrogant? How can wonderful. I, how can I stop myself from doing that? Or I don't like his dishonesty. In what ways am I dishonest? Nick, that is so wonderful. I'm glad you share that because I, I'm positive it will help so many people. And I'll, I'll try and work, working with that myself too. No, I'll try. I, I will. <laughs> well, it's, you know, we, we have this tendency to look at other people and sort of see the worst in them without recognizing that that's within us, you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so I consider that that's part of my spiritual practice is trying to make myself better and not judge or hate the other, but to see that it's part of me. Exactly. Yeah. And it seems that that is actually part of what you talk about that you, you wrote at one point that we have to live our spiritual, excuse me, we have to live our spirituality in relation to all others. And so spirituality is a personal journey, but Absolutely. it is also, we're also deeply connected with everyone else. Is that correct? Yes. In the non-dual vision, mm. that is my, the basis of my spiritual vision, we are all, I say, when I often, often when I meet people, you are God smiling on the earth. Mm. Now there's one smile, there are not millions of smiles. We are all the, the multifaceted expression of the same divine energy. Mm. And somewhere this we are all one. This was very well expressed by a, a little-known American spiritual thinker, Mary Baker Eddy, mm. who wrote in the 19th century. She founded 
a teaching called Christian Science, which has now almost disappeared, but it has some absolutely remarkable elements, and especially her book, Science and Health. It is a, it's a big volume. Uh, it's not easy reading, but she's so clear on the distinction between dualism and non-dualism. To take as a simple image, I'd say that 90 to 95% of spiritual teachings on the planet are dualistic. Mm. And in the dualistic vision of things, you are climbing a steep mountain, scratching your knees, holding on to little shrubs, hoping to get one day to the top of the mountain. And in my Calvinist uh, teaching of my childhood, each Sunday on the and in church they would read this confession of sin. I have to translate it from the French. Born into sin, incapable of yourself, by yourself of any good, and from two or three other things. And so the whole week you would work hard to improve yourself. And every Sunday they would push you down <laughs> and you'd have to start climbing again on Monday. Whereas in the non-dual vision of things, you are already at the top of the mountain, one with the source, with the divine being, and only the fog prevents you from seeing you're already there. Mm. So the effort is just to blow away the fog. It's much less painful. It's not necessarily easier, but it's infinitely less painful. So what's the fog? What creates the fog? Ah, oh, that's a $60,000 question. There was an American TV show, I think, 60 years ago. You, yeah. you heard of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar. And that has become, I think, an expression in the United States, the $60,000 question. Nick, your reply is as good as the mind. <laughs> Theologians have been debating this for thousands of years. I won't try and reply to it. Oh, okay. I guess that's fair. But isn't it, though, isn't part of the fog the ego? Well, of course. Hmm. The fog can only attach itself to the ego. Hmm. But here's one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, because you write in the book about the ego in pretty negative ways and write about getting rid of or the total dissolution of the ego. But isn't the ego important in some aspects? Well, evidently, in our culture, the ego is necessary for growing up. Somehow it gives you your personality mm. and it enables you to be someone distinct. So certainly in education, it is something necessary. Mm. I think you can't educate someone who would have no ego. Mm. But at the same time, when it hardens mm. into a sort of shell, when you're an adult, that's where it becomes, ooh, rather poisonous. Yeah. 
So would it be fair to say that the issue is more of the identification with the ego? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Correct yeah. identification, Nick, is the basis of the spiritual life. Mm. The basis. Yeah. Am I a poor sinner or am I a child of the light? Mm. I was brought up to think I was a poor sinner and now, I, now I'm trying to know every day that I'm a child of the light. Mm. Yeah, and it's hard work though. It's hard work because we like to identify with our egos, don't we? And we live in a in a culture where we are always constantly being pulled into this ego, mm. all the advertising to to make you look better, appear better, mm. and uh, it's all ego stuff. Yeah. So the, the the economy and through advertising has been a, a major source of strengthening the ego. Yeah. It, you know, and just my observation, and I can really only speak to American culture with the advertising, but I would say that the other aspect of this that's deeply problematic is not just the strengthening of the ego, but also identification with material things people identify with brands and yes. the in these items that they then connect to their sense of self absolutely absolutely yeah and i also in conjunction with that there seems to be this tendency to find happiness in the things there's I know I had a friend once that would refer to a uh, department store as her happy place. And oh. was, uh, yeah, that was what would like stir oh. up in me is, oh, that's so sad. A department store should not be your happy place. Gosh, oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my happy place would be my room in the morning where I meditate or the Quaker meeting house or a quiet forest, being on a mountaintop, those are real happy places. Yeah, 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 absolutely. My happy place is in a canyon or in a mountain somewhere. Right. That's where I go. But one of the things that you talk about, and I wanted to discuss some of these, you, you talk about challenges, and you say that challenges help us. Of course. And... Uh, how so? And I there's something else I want to kind of come back to, but let's start with that. How how can challenges in our lives help us spiritually? Because if we had an easy going on a flat plane, we would not be able to test our own strength. Mm. Challenges, you know, it would be like people running a hurdle race and there are no hurdles. Mm. Well, we need these challenges to grow. Mm. Even an avatar like Jesus had his period of challenges in the desert where he was faced with, quotes, unquote, the devil. Mm. That is this, this sum total of, of erroneous thinking and evil. 
and he had to wade through it, conquer it, before setting out on his mission. Hmm. Well, what about, what would you say to people who feel overwhelmed by the challenges that they're facing? That's a good question. I would think it's so important that they go and see a wise elder. And when I say elder, I'm not necessarily speaking of the accumulation of years, but somebody who has real spiritual wisdom and can, you know, make them feel more comfortable and especially overcome any sense of guilt mm. because that's one of our greatest enemies. Mm. It's a sense of guilt. Mm. I, I've had three very powerful mystical experiences. So powerful. And a mystical experience is something absolutely unique. It's a kind of knowledge that has nothing to do with the mind, PhDs, and mm. normal intelligence. It's a gift and it's a quality of knowledge that nothing can destroy. And in this experience, as walking in one of Geneva's busiest streets on the pedestrian pathway, and suddenly I saw the innocence, the fundamental, the ontological, essential innocence of everyone. I felt like shouting, you are innocent, you are innocent. I didn't do it because I want, didn't want to be taken to the insane asylum. <laughs> but it was so, so powerful. I literally saw, felt the essential theologian speaker, ontological innocence mm. of every single person there, be it a prostitute or a politician. Mm. Well, that's definitely a counter to the Calvinist teaching that we are all totally oh, depraved, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, that's it, what comes to mind, though, when you say that is that the spiritual path then requires courage because you expressed, you know, you're like, why well, didn't start shouting it out? Because you would have ended up in an asylum somewhere. But it seems like there is this tension between the truth that we experience and the greater culture. And at some point, we have to speak to that culture, right? When I say that I love Putin, mm. people think I'm crazy. Mm. So I only say it to, to uh, a close friend, and I don't say it in groups, but I feel it intensely. Mm. And that's my, my fundamental truth. I understand it's not that of Mr. Biden's vision or uh, whoever is uh, prime minister anywhere in the West, but it's my vision mm. and it has a strong spiritual founding. Hate has never healed anything, overcome any barrier. Only love can do right. that. Right. And in regards to that, there is, let me see if I'm, 
kind of can say this, that the spiritual path is deeply individual and personal, but yet it is a counter to this greater culture, but yet we are all connected. And it seems to me that what is also part of all of this is the idea of social justice and that social justice, it's something that begins with the individual and then expands out as a counter to this culture that keeps us in the fog. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yes. Okay. So in regards to social justice, I know that that has been a huge part of your life's work. And you write in the book about the experience that you had with, excuse me, I have to get his name here, Roger McGowan. Yes. And I yes. was wondering if maybe you could speak to that and how that was the, the actions that you took in regards to him and in, were informed by spiritual practice. Well, let's say I heard of Roger when he was on death row in the 90s. That was the, yes, at the end of the 90s. And he was going to be put to death. Mm. And one of his correspondents, a lady in Zurich, alerted all her friends and said, we can't allow this. This man is innocent. We must get a lawyer. And she contacted a few people including me, and I never heard of this woman before in my life. And I gave her, I guess, I think $3,000. And together, uh, everything she collected, she was able to hire a lawyer who was able to cancel the date of execution, but not the death penalty. He remained on death row. And I'd been so impressed by the story it's later Told, told about him, I started corresponding with Roger. And his correspondence was absolutely extraordinary. And I published, I published three books on him. Mm. But the first one, I put a bank account at the back of the book. And people started sending in funds. Mm. One lady in Zurich sent me $50,000 just from reading a book. Wow. And I'd contacted a, a lawyer in Texas that had been recommended to me by one of the Texan NGOs fighting the death penalty. And he was a really honest guy. And he told me, well, you, uh, I need $300,000. That, that'll seem exorbitant to, to you, but uh, it's not when you know the prices in the field of justice in the, in the United States. And I was able to, to, to collect this sum and I put a, a great deal of my own funds and we were able to get Roger off death row, but not out of prison. And the fight continues. Mm. And as of today, we, I, I created an international support group, and that support group has petered out. Now we are, I'd say, about half a dozen people maximum mm. 
and we've collected that it has cost us up till now, and he's still in prison, close to a million dollars. Mm. Now, there are not many people, not many poor blacks in the United States who can collect a million dollars. So that's <clears throat> a problem with the justice system in your country. But we will get him out, mm. whatever the cost and whatever yeah. the time. But in the meantime, he's become an absolutely extraordinary man, not only a, a spiritual leader, but a, a cultural leader. Mm. And he's changing, literally changing the energy and the atmosphere of the wind unit in Huntsville, mm. where he's imprisoned, yeah. literally. Can you say more about him being a spiritual role model? Well, when I when we started writing, his letters were just just amazing. The first time we met, I I went to see him every single year since '99, with a couple of exceptions, the COVID year where nobody could visit the prison. And one year where I had to have an operation. And at the beginning of our encounters, he said, you know, you pulled me forward, Pierre. And I would say it's many years ago that the role was reversed and that he pulled me forward. I went through a period of total depression for four years after I'd quit, left my wife. And... You know, he was an example that helped me to stay upright because he has always had a very strong faith, mm. faith in justice, faith in God, faith in the power of the love, of love. And he's been a model for many people I received. I remember receiving a letter from Bangwang Central Prison in Thailand, the worst prison of in Thailand from a Cameroonian who'd been sentenced to 25 years for a crime he says he never committed. And he was totally down in the dumps, totally. And in the in the library of the Bangwang Central Prison in Thailand, he found Roger's book in French. Now, how did that book get there? For me, that is providence. Mm. And that pulled, book pulled him totally out of his depression. And he started sharing it. And he, he wrote to me such an enthusiastic, amazing letter that I spoke about him in a, in a talk on Roger McGowan I gave at a meeting. And four ladies started corresponding with him, including one who's pretty wealthy, and finally, she was able, he was granted a release, an early release, and she got him all the way back to his homeland in Cameroon. And the last thing I received from him was this huge smiling face <laughs> next to his mother in the Cameroon. Mm. Nick, I think we're approaching soon the allotted time, aren't we? 
Yeah, we have about 10 minutes left, if that's oh, okay. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, Wonderful. yeah, yeah. Because I, I still have a couple of questions for you. <laughs> yes, okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and at the end, I will ask you uh, about Roger again, if there's a website that people can go to um, yes. to get more information. And I'll include that in the show notes in the video description. And I know that there's a group in the United States, I think it's called the Innocence Project, that mm -hmm. is working to get people who are imprisoned or on death row unjustly to get them free. Absolutely. Yeah. They are fabulous. Group. Yeah. 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 I follow them. I follow them. But one of the things I want to go back to for a moment is this idea of the, you know, this materialistic society that we live in. And it seems that one of the reasons that people like to surround themselves with things and identify with things is because it provides a sense of security. But you wrote security is an illusion. That security is an illusion. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Yeah. The only real security is the one that you have inside yourself mm. by holding on to some strong spiritual or personal truth. It doesn't have to be spiritual, but some solid inner anchor mm. for nothing to do with possessions or whatever, or how much you have in a bank or any of these things. You know, one of the things that always kind of comes to mind when thinking about spirituality is and I think this is very relevant to what we've been discussing is that it used to be, and I don't know if this was outside of the United States, but it used, we, you would hear quite a bit, this statement that if you want to change the world, change yourself. Yes. And I think that there's truth to that. And I used to counter, but if you want to change yourself, change the world. And now I'm at a point where, and I think this is your, your teaching in many ways, is that it's not a separation between the two. It's not either or. Yeah. If you are really, you know, I lived for five years between two shanty towns mm. in Dakar. <coughs> well... I couldn't develop a beautiful spiritual path and be unconcerned with the lives of the people. Mm. So I started a study group with a, a group of young men from one of the shanty towns. They used to come on Saturday afternoons and we'd drink Moroccan green teas and discuss. And one of them was very lively. He was the son of the local imam in one of the two shanty towns. And finally, I was able to get him through high school, and he got his, what they call maturité, his, uh, <coughs> sorry, high school degree, but it enabled him to go to university, and a Swiss friend and I paid his studies through university, and he got on to a, a full and productive life. Well, you know, you, it's for me, you can't pretend you have a spiritual life 
and live in concern with a huge poverty in the world. You know, everybody's concerned with Ukraine, 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 but nobody's speaking of the 800 million who are going to be hungry every day. Now, I've lived close to these people. And as I told you, I've been in villages where people ate the bark from the trees. So I know by not by personal experience, but by close contact, what dire poverty is. So you can't be spiritual and not work to transform the work, the world socially. Yeah, I, I agree with that absolutely completely. A question that I often ask people, and I'm going to ask you, and this is something that typically it is in regards to our current environmental crises. But I think that for you, I want to ask it just in general, because there's so many things going on, you know, with wars and uh, poverty and disease and also the environmental crises that we are in a very precarious situation yes and i want to know do you have hope are you hopeful do, have do you have hope are you hopeful for our future well i couldn't be facing you if i didn't have hope Hope is an essential ingredient of living on this planet for me. Mm. I'm full of hope because I believe also in a divine power that ultimately pulls the strings. Mm. And it's allowing us to grow through this, go through this lesson to learn things we absolutely need as a race mm. to learn. But I don't know, I don't think it will allow us to blow ourselves to pieces. That's my personal conviction. Mm. So I stay hopeful, deeply hopeful. Very good. Yeah, it seems like we're in a collective dark night of the soul. Yes. Yeah. That's a very good way of saying it. Yeah. But well, there are lights in that darkness. Yeah. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is something that resonated with me very much, is you said that we need to learn to say yes to absolutely everything. Yes. Yes. And, uh, yes. What, yeah, what do you mean by that? I mean, you know, look for the positive mm -hmm. in any situation. And if, you know, if you're... Uh, an insane guy, insane guy, kills a, members, a member of your family in front of you. You can always, in such an instance, learn to love mm. instead of hating. Learn to understand why this guy was so insane as to do something as insane as that, mm. instead of judging, enveloping him with compassion. Mm. So there's something to learn and practice in every single situation. And again, here, 
I am in the kindergarten. Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to finish on this note. Yeah. 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 I agree. I'm in kindergarten too. So let me ask you, what do you have coming up? Do you have any workshops, new books? I think you mentioned a new book. I have two. I'm writing on two new books. Okay. One is, they're in French. They might be translated. I don't know. A spirituality for people on the run. Mm. And the other one is living without judging. Mm. So I interrupted the writing because I moved recently. Right. And that entails so many <laughs> different challenges of different nature, but yeah. I have to interrupt my writing. But I'm going to start, uh, resume it in the weeks that come. Okay, wonderful. Is there a place, like a website, where people can go to find out more about you and your work? I'd say the www gentle art of blessing or link gentle art of blessing dot org. Okay. And I had already mentioned this. What about people who want to find out more information or would like to help with Roger McGowan? They can also go on uh, the website rogermcgowan.org. Okay. Dot okay. org. Okay. All right. Well, I think it's org. I think it might become, might okay. become, but uh, they should find it within today. Okay, I, I, I'll, I'll do a search and find, and I will put links to both in the show notes in the video description, and I will also put links for your latest book, the Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment, in there. So, and Pierre, I have a, I have a website on just my books. Okay. www.pierrepredeman.com. Okay. All right. I'll, okay. I'll check on all of them. Okay. Okay. Yes, I will. Pierre, thank you so much for your time this morning. I am so happy that and grateful that we were able to connect and have this conversation. Nick, I really, really enjoyed it. I've had many such conversations. I can really honestly say this is the one I've enjoyed most. Oh, well, so thank, thank you. Thank you, my friend, and <laughs> goodbye. Yes, thank you, and blessings to you. God bless you. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap on episode 112 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're a part of my YouTube audience. Now, you know what's coming up next. All the usual. Sign up for my Patreon. Share this with friends, family, and on social media. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. You know the grind. But here's the thing. All of this is really important. Putting this podcast together takes quite a bit of time and effort. Right now, it's really just a labor of love on my part. I'm in the process of making changes to improve the podcast and the YouTube channel. It's slow going, like my dad used to say, slower than molasses in January. But your support will help me speed up the process and ensure that I can continue with the podcast and offer much more content than what I provide now. As I always like to say, I'm here on the front range now doing missionary work in regards to religion, spirituality, and ecology, psychedelics, and consciousness, and how all of this can help us heal humanity's relationship with the sacred earth. So if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, and you know, I sure hope that you do, then please 
by all means, help me in my efforts to share the good news. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to or watching Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit. <laughs>